From the Association of Registered Graphic Designers and Frontier Media, it's First Things First, a show about how design shapes and creates our world. I'm your host, Patty Harrington. In London, in November 1963, graphic designer Ken Garland wrote a manifesto. He called it First Things First. Garland was angry. He felt that Britain's design industry had lost its way. That designers were focused on winning big contracts from advertisers selling mundane products like toothpaste, dog treats, and light beer. The scope of debate is shrinking, he said. Consumerism is running uncontested. Garland's manifesto challenged designers to apply their talents to different priorities, cultural, educational, and other kinds of design. He called it a new kind of meaning. 55 years later, consumerism remains a powerful force, and the market is even more pervasive and persuasive. This podcast borrows its name from Garland's manifesto, First Things First. It will feature conversations with leading designers. They'll talk about what they do, why they do it, and how they've shaped our world in ways we may not even be aware of. Each is working on a piece of the bigger picture. Each is creating something beautiful that helps us see our world in a new or different way. Each in their own way is putting first things first. year that we did the there was one title sequence that we did that didn't have the city in it we did an abstract version of the city and we were sitting in the studio audience at 11:30 at night when it went on all the monitors and i like it like i got a little to use a saturday night live term verklempt and i thought to myself i probably should be you know i i probably should be prouder if i was doing something like curing cancer or understanding blood diseases, but this is like the happiest moment of my life. (laughs) You probably knew Emily Oberman's stuff before you ever heard her name. From her work on Saturday Night Live, to Jimmy Fallon, to movies like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Ready Player One, Oberman can trace a distinctive thread through the popular culture of the past 20 years, and continues to shape how we see the world. Oberman grew up in Yonkers, New York, and studied at Cooper Union. She began her career working with Tibor Kallman, at his studio, Emmanco, where from 1987 to 1993, she collaborated with Kalman to create work for Knoll, Widening Kennedy, New Wave Group Talking Heads, and the Benetton-sponsored Colors magazine. In April 2012, Oberman joined world-famous design studio Pentagram in their New York office as partner. She has taught at several leading educational institutions and continues to teach at the School of Visual Arts. On this episode of First Things First, We'll talk to Emily about how she got started in the industry, the importance of dumbass ideas, and using design as a force for positive change. My parents were both creative people. Um, all their friends were creative people. Everything about our lives was creative. My parents went to Cooper Union. All of their friends went to Cooper Union. We spent Christmas and Thanksgiving with friends rather than family, and they were all funny. They were all artists, designers, painters, everyone was incredibly liberal, really progressive. I just sort of, uh, I went into the family business, basically. And sometimes I feel like, hmm, I didn't stretch myself enough in thinking about what 
I should be. Like maybe I should have been a lawyer or a doctor and had the same journey that many of my friends who are designers had to get to being a graphic designer. But instead, I just looked around me and my parents were so happy and funny and interesting. I'm an only child and I'm very close with my parents. And so there was like the three of us all the time. And it was always about, I mean, sure, fighting and teenage stuff and all of that, but it was always about sort of making each other laugh and finding funny, interesting things. And my parents' studios were full of amazing photographs and little pieces of hilarious writing that they cut out of The New Yorker or whatever it was. So would you say it was in your blood or would you say that somehow there was a moment where it became yours and you crystallized it as your own thing? I think it was in my blood. I was always kind of in awe of my mother's ability to draw or to find a witticism in something. My father was more methodical in his design and my mother was more spontaneous, I would say, in what she did. And going to Cooper Union for me was sort of wading through their waters. And I think that after Cooper Union working at M & Company was the beginning of seeing it in a slightly different way. Although it's funny because M & Company, there was Tibor and there was Myra. And they were so similar. Tibor was the designer and Myra was the illustrator. And I had grown up with my father as a designer and my mother as an illustrator. And so I, it's like I found a variation on my family that allowed me to grow and change a little bit more. And Tibor used to say to Myra, like he used to point at me and then point at his kids and say, see that? Me being the first that. That's what they were going to become because he knew that my history was so close to theirs. And I found a place where wit and joy and laughter and creativity was just part of every day. And so would, would that have been your first paying gig as a creative person or would, was it earlier than that? Or My first paying gig was an internship for Paul Davis right after I graduated from Cooper Union. That was just a two-month thing. It was great. And then I got a job at a small design studio called Marcus Ratliff Incorporated that did work for galleries and museums and was a, a nice jobby job. It had a like kind of a creative spirit to it because it was for museums, but it was always where the design had to pretty much take a back seat to the art that you were displaying. But I had two kind of moments. One, I was designing an invitation for a, a special annual gala, and I did a terrible, terrible, terrible job. It was awful. And I showed it to my boss, and he sort of was horrified. And he gave me, I think, the weekend to fix it. What was bad about it? It was just ugly and undesigned and bad typography and it was just terrible. Would you say that was because you were nervous or? or completely. Or because I hadn't really figured out exactly what my design voice was. And over the weekend I went in and I, you know, did a lot of research and sweated and did something that actually was pretty pretty great. And he, I think in that moment, decided not to fire me. And the other thing that happened at this studio where I worked for a very short period of time was I met Bonnie, Bonnie Siegler, who was my partner at number 17. We met at that studio. We both worked there for a short period of time, but it was kind of like I opened the door for her when she came in and it was one of those like, hi, hi, want to be best friends? Okay. 
moments. So that was the beginning of what would then become number 17. Even though we both went on, I went on to work at Ammon Company. She went on to work at VH1, the beginning of our future. And talking about partnership as it relates to creativity, I mean, you know, there's the myth of the solo designer. There's also, in some ways, I feel like the myth of the collaboration and both are true and both are not true. I mean, for you, what is the role of partnership, collaboration within your own process? I love collaboration. I love, 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 love it. I prefer it. But I'm married to someone who is such a lone wolf. Like he he wants to do it himself. He wants to do all of it himself. He wants to use the X-Acto knife to cut the type and he wants to do the Photoshop work. And I used to want to do that. And now I think there are actually people who are better at it than I am. So I love the I love collaborating on the ideas. But that was what I loved about M and Company and what I loved about Number 17 and what I love about Pentagram now is that in all of those situations, it was always extremely collaborative. Like Tibor was sort of taught me the best idea wins kind of thing, which is he wasn't always, it wasn't always, it didn't have to be his idea. Whoever had the best idea, sometimes the best idea came from the accountant. He would like be walking by a crit and say like, what if you did blah, blah, blah. And if it was better than anything we had up on that wall, that was the idea to go with. And then it was your job to make it your own by taking someone else's idea and then imbuing the design of it with yourself. Someone once asked me at number 17, someone was looking at something that we had designed and they said the question that I hated the most they said who did this you or Bonnie and I said oh that that's a hundred percent me and a hundred percent Bonnie and I like to think about things like that you know now with my team at Pentagram because each different designer that I work with brings a different something to the process This spring and fall, some of the world's top creative minds tell it like it is and explore the deep truths of design at Design Thinkers. Design Thinkers is an annual conference for like-minded people and offers in-depth analysis of trends and best practices in design. On May 29th and 30th in Vancouver and October 24th and 25th in Toronto, join a community of people passionate about creative communications and go deep into the truths of design. For more information, visit www.designthinkers.com. Tell me about the work with Saturday Night Live and what that looks like. I was very precocious and really into comedy when I was little. So I was a huge Monty Python fan and a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I remember where I was when I saw the first episode with George Carlin and I stayed up late to watch it. And I remember when we, the first time we did the opening sequence, really like... Well, how did you get the call? Well... The call came twice. The first time, the man who was in charge of the film unit was a man named Jim Signorelli, who was also the man who had made every single parody commercial for the first 20, 30 years of Saturday Night Live. And he had seen the work of Emmon Company and came to Emmon Company and met with Tibor. And Tibor had me come in the meeting. Jim was a very particular kind of personality, and Tibor was a very particular kind of personality, and... 
they didn't, it didn't mesh, didn't gel. And I was sad, uh, but it disappeared and that was that. And then shortly after we started number 17, Jim, I don't even remember how, he materialized again. He found us and he asked us to start working on parody commercials for him because he wanted to do some that had typography in them. And so we started working on Crystal Gravy is my favorite one, which was a parody of Crystal Pepsi. And in doing that, then he sort of, he was also in charge of the titles. And when it came time to sort of redo the titles, he asked us to do the typography for them while we were also doing a new logo for the show. And then it just kind of evolved from there. But the first year that we did the, there was one title sequence that we did that didn't have the city in it. We did an abstract version of the city. And we were sitting in the studio audience at 1130 at night when it went on, all the monitors. And I, like, I, like I got a little, to use a Saturday Night Live term, verklempt. And I thought to myself, I probably should be, you know, I, I probably should be prouder if I was doing something like curing cancer or understanding blood diseases. But this is like the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> I mean, part of your career, a lot of your career, you've worked with people who have a, a public profile, a pretty high public profile, Jimmy Fallon, Lorne Michaels. Does that change the dynamic as a client? Does it change the way you interact with someone knowing that they're now in the process of working through a creative idea with you? I think working with a high profile clients has an effect. I also just, I'm not like hanging out with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> like We had this moment, we just did something for him and it was really nice when he said, how many things have we done together now? Four? And I said, yeah, four. And it was nice that he has that collaborative spirit as well. And he's someone who, he's really into the process. Like when we were working on The Tonight Show, I would get like a package from his assistant that was a page that he'd torn out of a magazine with a little tiny thing with a circle around it that said like, I like this blue and he was really, he loved talking about the logos in meetings and the meetings with him are always fun and funny and smart. And he's really, he's really truly excited by design. Lauren Michaels, it's more like going to see the king. Like mostly I, it was Jim Signorelli who was kind of our liaison. And then when Jim left, it was Reese Thomas who was our liaison. But every, every now and then, like once every few years, you'd have to go in and present to Lauren. And again, it could be any time of day, usually midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And he knows what he wants and he knows his show better than anyone. And you tweak things based on what he wants. But he also is incredibly good about allowing the people around him to do what they do. Like when we work on the open, sometimes he doesn't see it till the Saturday that the show is airing and you know that if he's not happy, you're going to have to recut that thing in a huge way. I mean, he sees storyboards and concepts beforehand, but he just gets his brand. Having to change the logo every week for three weeks, one year, was really horrifying and nerve-wracking, but also fascinating. I think that's sort of underneath the question is that you've got these public figures, and in some ways, they are the world's best at knowing brand, right? They've reached a point where they have this exposure publicly that they have this facility with what it means to connect to people. And so, I mean, I'd imagine there's a certain degree of intimidation in that, you know, they get some of the things that you are as an, as a professional 
helping them with. And so the back and forth, it's interesting to hear the, the, the way that those two in particular engage with one another. What is a dumbass idea? A dumbass idea is my favorite, favorite kind of idea. It's something that's so obvious that everyone looks at and thinks, oh, I could have thought of that. But you didn't. Like, it's just, it should be so simple and so clear that it just tells the story in a way that makes a client or an audience member say, well, of course, of course, that's what it should be. My, my practice has evolved in a kind of dumbass way. Like, you know, like, oh, I do this project because it's nice. And oh, it turns out that this project was related to that project. And it sort of evolves that that way. So what's next? I think that I would like to do things that can affect change. I've always thought of myself as someone who does that, but it hasn't been at the forefront of what we, we've been doing a lot of work in entertainment, although I like to think that the work we're doing with The Wing is about finding that voice for women in a world where women are finding their voice even more so, like in sort of looking at the history of the women's movement from suffrage to the 70s to now. Like, we're having a moment that I think needs voices and needs focus, and I think that women are in a position to affect powerful change, and I'd, I'd like to do more of that. find out more about Emily, including her latest projects, visit pentagram.com or follow at Pentagram Design on Instagram. First Things First is produced by Max Cotter. Frontier Media is a part of Frontier, a design office based in Toronto, Canada. We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. To do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile. And we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate and inspire, set professional standards, and build a strong, supportive community dedicated to advocating for the value of design.